Welcome to Invoking Witchcraft, the podcast where the sacred and profane come out to play. So call the quarters and set the round. It's time for another episode. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Invoking Witchcraft. My name is Jay Allen Cross. I'm here with my co-host, Britton Boyd, also known as Archaic Honey on Instagram. And we have a very, very special guest for you today. Her name is Anwyn Avalon. She is an author, a water guardian, a high priestess, and more. Say hello, Anwyn. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for having me. We're very happy to have you here. And what I want to start with is, because I know that you are not only a witch, but you are so much more in our community. Can you start by telling people what your titles are? Oh, okay. So titles, it's so strange because I I guess I have some, right? <laughs> but I don't like to use them because they, they freak me out. <laughs> so even within like my tradition and my um, our covens, I set it up as a democracy. So if I ever lost my mind, there was voting power around me. <laughs> I love that. Um, but um, I mean, technically, I'm a high priestess of, of Trisco Rose. Um, I founded it and I, I ran uh, two, of, two of the three covens um, and now just uh, the one up here. But I, I tend to not use it because, well, first off, like priestess and high priestess is often associated with um, things like Wicca. And I don't consider myself to be Wiccan. But, you know, also I kind of grew up witchcraft in that time when that was all that was available. So I, at one point in time, everything was Wicca until it was like really kind of chopped up. So I guess I have that title, right? As like high priestess, but um, I like to just be kind of called like priestess um, because it's less, I don't know, highfalutin sounding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that makes sense. More humble. And I really take it um, as as a path of service. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even though I'm in charge, I'm in charge of my service to them, if that makes sense, and to the spirits. I also got um, my Reiki training years ago as well. Um, You know, before I found, well, kind of as I found witchcraft, I was trying to supplement with everything that I could and Reiki was just kind of coming out before it became like super, super popular. And so I went through my whole training, which was a lot different than I think what's offered now. Like I actually mm-hmm. had to do like case studies on like clients and I had to like take clients and, and work with them and like follow mm-hmm. up with them. And um, now I think you can just pay like $99 for a weekend or something. So my teacher was very, very like into actual hands-on healing. Um, and so I also earned the title of Reiki master um, and Reiki master teacher, but I no longer teach it. It's it's something that is, the energy work is just kind of integrated into my work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use it a lot more in my water priestess practice because I have like kind of a really strange practice where it's like it, there's two like very distinct sides where um, I'm a witch and I practice witchcraft, but then I'm a priestess and I'm in service to the water or my tradition. Um, And so with water priestessing, because it is something that is, that I'm really pushing as a universal concept that like, it doesn't matter what path you have, you can be a water priestess or guardian or, or whatever you want to call yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. I call it, priestess because I feel like that service kind of comes with that word but so I use a lot more metaphysics in that practice because it is uh reachable to a a bigger audience so I do tend to do things like Reiki energy at the water's edge and and stuff like that um as as an offering because we should be giving like energetic offerings not physical offerings Mm. I actually just (sighs) released on my Instagram a really long rant about putting flowers (laughs) in water again. um, Yeah, we're going to want to talk about that too a little bit later, which I think is going to be really important to talk on. Um, One of the other things too, so when you became uh, like a high priestess, you actually kind of went through some training and you had initiations and things like that, which I think is something that a lot of people forget that you need when you're going to take on a a title such as high priestess. Uh, Can you kind of briefly tell us what you had to go through in order to kind of reach that level. Yes, yes. So um, 
Oh man. Okay. So where do you even start? Um, I had been practicing as solitary and with um, groups of people in like circle type of environments for a while. Um, and I was on a Yahoo chat group. Remember this? Um, <laughs> Old school. <laughs> yeah, yeah a long time I ago. Wrote, like I had just moved to this place and I wrote an intro and I put like this little line that was like, you know, I would really love to get formal training in witchcraft, but you know, that's never like not a thing. Ha ha ha. And this lady just kind of reached out and was like, not that I'm promoting myself to te- like to study with me, but like formal training in witchcraft's a thing. You just kind of have to know the the right tradition or coven or group to to work with. She she did a really good job because I was just like, okay, cool. I'll be your student. Teach me. <laughs> and she was like, well, we have a goddess group up the road that I really think that you should check out because you might be better suited for them. And I was like, nope, nope, <laughs> this is where I'm going to be. And so I went through kind of like a traditional year in a day, which I guess that does follow more of like a British traditional um, mm-hmm. Wicca or witchcraft style. Um, and during that year in a day, I had not only rituals that I had to attend, um, moons and and sabbats or holy days um, and learn the actual like physically learn how to do things rather than just kind of sitting there and being like oh I lit a candle did my spell like mm-hmm. it was like no 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 you have to put all the pieces together they're ha- like you gotta raise your voice you gotta get the vibrations out you need to ecstatic like that circumambulation movement mm-hmm. like getting all of those processes together you gotta really and, do the witchcraft <laughs> right exactly and I'll tell you what some yeah crazy, crazy, amazing things were happening. Um, And my teachers were just kind of full-time witches. So anyway, so I went through that whole thing and I did all of the physical side, but alongside of that was like a three ring binder. Um, In fact, I I have it. I put everything in like paper, like those like plastic sleeves and it comes out to be like a three inch three ring binder type of deal. Um, And that was my curriculum. And I had to learn all of that. And I had quizzes. My teeth, like every lesson had a quiz and they were graded. And I would get so mad if I would get one wrong. (laughs) Um, So I had written quizzes. I had book reports that I had to read um, and write. I had to like read the books, send in book reports. And then I also had to do my work. And that was everything from like, here's instructions on how to make a poppet. Now go make it um, Mm -hmm. to candle magic Mm -hmm. and and like just absolutely everything that you could think of. So by the time I was done with it, I had knowledge of everything. I knew how to make a poppet. I knew how to dress a candle. I knew Mm -hmm. how to um, make a powder, how to do ritual, how to like all of the things. There's so much. Um, and uh, so, so that whole process, and then I was eligible for initiation. Um, and I know that that's not traditional. I think mm. that some other groups, I don't like, I don't know for sure, but from what I understand, um, I think that some other initiatory groups have some training before, and then you initiate, and then you have like really deep training. Um, but my teachers were the opposite. They were like, "You're going to train, and you're going to reach the bar, and then." will initiate you and that'll be ground zero. Um, and that's I love when that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I was just really blessed to have found, like it was, it was so strange, like with a little small town out in the middle of kind of nowhere. And there they were. Um, it was about two hour drive. So I had, I mean, it was a commitment for me. I would drive up on, you know, a Saturday at three in the afternoon, do ritual, end at 11 and start my two hour drive back home. Um, so wow. I also had to really, I had to want it. I had to put the the commitment, the time, the energy in, and I did. And so mm-hmm. I really feel like I got this amazing foundation, this amazing um, place to really start the build. So cool. Can we go back <laughs> in time a little bit? When was your like, Oh shit, I'm a witch moment. Oh, okay. So that was way before my initiation. But um, so also, this is going to just date me so much. Um, (laughs) I was looking at a clothing catalog, um, like a mail order catalog thing. And I was like, cool. Um, And I'm looking through it. And there's like the the last page, there's like this black and white, like page with little ad, like little tiny advertisements, you know, like two by two inch squares, right? And it says like, 
yeah. witchcraft books online. And then it just gave like, a, like an address, like a, a web address. And I was just like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. About it. I was like, it's probably yeah. going to be a novel, but just, just go check it out anyway. So I did like a type, type that right in real quick. And I ended up ordering like just a stack of books. Just um, there was Cunningham with some of them. Um, and oh, the Witch's Bible, that one. <laughs> yeah. um, and um, yeah. it was Cunningham that I picked up first. So I got this whole box all at once and I like, like, you know, spread them out. And I just opened up one of Cunningham's. I can't remember which one. It was probably one of his more like herbally ones. And I looked through it. I just kind of like paged, you know, like flip, 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 flip. And after the first book, I was like, wait. And so I put this, I put it down. I picked up another one, same thing, opened it up, gave it a quick scan, was like, oh, wait, there's this, there's this, there's this, there's this. Wait, I can use plants on a candle and I can put plants in my bed and I can put plants in my bath. And, and then I was like, I yeah. knew it. <laughs> I knew there was more to this. I knew that you just didn't put a plant in a jar because it was fun. Like I knew there was reasons. And that was there the was moment. A to it. There was that was the moment when I got my first stack of witch books when I was just like, holy crap. I oh love it. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it funny how I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, it's okay. I talk too much. No, I had been doing it my whole life. I like I would spend hours at, like in puberty, like 10, 10 10, 11, 12, um, in like the swamp collecting plants and like things like Queen Anne's lace and putting like, I didn't get in trouble for putting like, uh, for, for doing crazy things or staying out too late or, you know, fighting about makeup with the girl next door. I got grounded <laughs> for catching coral snakes in mason jars. Ooh. So oh. yeah. <laughs> now, were you in Florida during this? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I grew up in Florida, so I know all about them coral snakes. Yeah. Where whereabouts? Um, my dad was in the army, so we moved around a whole lot. So Key West to Pensacola to Jacksonville to Miami. Okay, got it. it. Yeah. So I grew up in Daytona Beach. Okay. Um, Yeah. So yeah, that that kind of whole area. But yeah, so like that was just like I had been kind of going through the motions as a child um and then when I opened those books I was like this is a thing I can't believe that I like intuitively was doing it I just needed somebody to connect that last piece to be like yes there's Mm -hmm. more here um and then that was that like that that was the end of it I like I think I sold some stuff on the internet and like ebay or, or something sold some old like costume pieces and like bought another stack of books yeah. <laughs> and I was never a reader never a reader I remember like I read Jane Eyre when I was in high school and um like some of the old classics I, I liked but I never was like the girl that had like the stack of novels or spent her mm. high school reading books um I was I, I never really liked it and then as soon as it was a subject that I was like there's like there's knowledge here um, and it hadn't stopped. Like it just hasn't stopped. Like at this point, like every couple of years, I sell a couple hundred books so that I can go get some more. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so when you had that moment, and kind of you know, for a lot of us who were sort of you know born with that witch fire, the witch blood in it, when we have that oh shit moment, the the period following it for a certain amount of time tends to get very intense. You know, some people call it a spiritual awakening. Some people call it, you know, the, the ignition of the witch blood, whatever it is we want to call it. Um, what, what was that period of time after that moment like for you? So it was, it was interesting. Okay. So I might not fit into that mold a hundred percent because I think that I went through a, oh, I'm pretty sure, like very, very sure that I went through a spiritual initiation. Um, I like tw- in my early twenties, mm-hmm. um, and it, it was, well, late teens, early 20s, like right there on the cusp. And then it wasn't too long after that I got the books. But I left home, like I graduated high school at 17. I left home at like 18 and 30 days, um, like the month after my 18th birthday, I was gone. Yeah. And the, the long story, and I won't tell it, but the short version is um, somehow I ended up in a sorority as the 
like, oh, the cute hippie girl that works at Michael's and we actually have to fill our house. Otherwise we're going to get in trouble. Um, and I was like showing, they were like doing all these crafts for their pledge week and stuff. And I was the hippie craft girl that was like, oh, like get these paints and do this. And the next thing you know, and I actually had to move out of my dorm that week. And they basically were like, oh, we need people to move in. So I was like, oh, I'm joining a sorority, I guess. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and so I did. And, you know, didn't know it then, know it now. Um, a lot of the fraternities and sororities, they're based off of the old magical lodges, like the Golden Dawn. Um, and there is, we had a ritual room and a ritual closet, and we had actual, like, initiation ceremonies. I had to dress in all white and, you know, like, drink, like, the wine and, like, this whole thing. Um and as soon as that happened, as soon as I went through like this ritual initiation put on by, you know, a bunch of young girls that didn't know what they were doing, um, that is when I went into my spirit initiation. And it was just roller coaster. I was like moving all the time. I was always displaced. It was always some guy. Um, you know, I was like recycling boyfriends, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, like they were basically just new one, new one, new one. Good, good. Um, and I went through a really incredibly terrible, terrible time. Um, and I really kind of transformed and accidentally, there's a long story that goes with how, um, I started using Anwin as my name. Um, I, I wasn't born with that name, but it is my legal name. I accidentally started using that name um, for actual belly dance. Like they're like, you need a stage name to like conceal your identity. And I ended up using Anwen. And then I like realized what, like late, later I learned what, like that was actually the, like one of the spellings of the Welsh underworld. And so I kind of went through that process of death and rebirth. And it was kind of in a rebirth cycle um, that I did buy those books. But of course, it does. You do have that moment, right? right. So um, it wasn't too long after that, I really started to kind of hash through and go through that like, whoa, like I grew up in like a really like crazy culty home, um, like mm -hmm. very, very uh, evangelical Baptist um, cult, very culty, very, very culty. And so I had a lot of deprogramming to do. And mm -hmm. so it wasn't like this terrible, tumultuous time from before, but it was like a slowly peeling back the layers, layer by layer by layer. Um, and at a certain point of peeling back those layers is when kind of I ended up training and going through my training and there was more peeling back that happened. And um, I'm really thankful for that because a large part of it was shadow work. I did have to do things like process my trauma. There wasn't bypassing. It was like, oh, you're struggling with this? Well, then we'll be here and we'll work through this. We're going to sit with it for a real long time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there was, there was a lot of shadow work that came along with it. So yeah, peeling back layers and layers and layers. And um, I think that I went through another spirit initiation um, right around... Couple years after my initiation um, is like I feel like the final push into the transformation of like who I am because you, I look back at pictures, videos, all sorts of stuff, and I'm like, eh, maybe I'm too hard on myself. But I also know like where I was and what I was still clinging to, and like there was still hope for like, oh, like maybe I will still somehow be able to make my parents happy, um, <laughs> and. Maybe somehow they'll accept me as a, a witch. Um, mm -hmm. None of that was ever going to happen. So it was kind of the last, um, like, real stripped back of, like, okay, now you've really lost everything, so uh, we'll rebuild. And then the rebuilding process happened, and that is when um, I really started looking back over my practice and being like, wait a second, I practiced on the beach. All these things happened on the beach. Both of my uh, teachers had like incredibly strong water charts, um, like Scorpios and can't like all like all their major signs, Scorpio, Cancer, Pisces type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I was living on the beach. I was working on the beach. The first circle I ever held for other people on the beach. Um, mm -hmm. And that was kind of when I pilgrim pilgrimaged to England um, and Glastonbury. And I've been, my mom's British, so I've been there before, but there was, I, I went to, to Glastonbury and I kind of like had a profound moment 
in this sacred place where these these sacred waters um, flow and there's this white spring and I'm really obsessed with it because it's um, like a temple, modern day temple to the fairy king and queen or uh, Bridget and Gwen Upnith. Um, but it hides itself from people. I send people there all the time with like a map and like very specific directions and like people somehow miss it. Now it, I get it. It could be missed, but it wasn't that way for me when I went somehow I was just led directly there and like went in and like, it's like, Oh, what is this? And it's a <laughs> modern day pagan water temple and it's run by pagans. It's got shrines and it's candle lit. It's just amazing. Um, clothing optional, which is why there's not a lot of uh, videos and pictures nice. on, on the internet is because they, they protect people's privacy. So you can actually immerse in these sacred waters without clothes if you want. Um, and that was kind of like the final, final bit of like this really long, like ebb and flow of spiritual initiation. Um, and it, it obviously had some like ritual initiations along the way. Um, but this last one, I came back from the UK and was like, boom, this is a thing. Water, water's a thing. And I wrote my first syllabus um, and I taught my first water class and then I expanded that syllabus and then I was teaching a course and then all of a sudden the book and all the things and time goes so fast. But um, yeah, so it kind of all crescendoed in Glastonbury um, where I was like, and now I understand my path. Like I'd always been on it, but it was clear. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Found that water priestessy path. I love that. And I think we're going to um, transition into some some water specific questions for you, because I know that our audience is going to want to know, um, you know, how to work with this and do all this stuff. So I think Britain's going to going to segue. Yeah, Britain's going to segue us into uh, talking about the, the, the waters here. Yeah, I so I am an Aries, like super Aries, so much fire in my chart. And I have a difficult time connecting with the element of water. So I am so curious, like about your water witchcraft and whatnot. And one of my first questions for you is what are the do's and don'ts when it comes to working with water and more specifically making offerings to water? Yes. So um, I'll get to the offerings last because that's that is a a little bit longer of a a paragraph. The do's and don'ts. I mean, I think that it's really important that we understand that we are like significantly um, water, like a a significant portion of our actual physical bodies is made of water. Um, Stats are like 60 to 80%. But then on a molecular level, I mean, we have even more than that. So, you know, understanding that water does absorb and kind of um, hold a energy frequency or a vibration. We know this just by doing things like skipping a rock on the water. We can see the ripples. Um, And there was a a Japanese scientist named Dr. Emoto that had done these like really cool um, scientific experiments where he would take water from different places and place them under a microscope, flash freeze the crystals and place them under a microscope. And he did documentation of... um, if you do this, it looks like this. If you do this, it looks like this. And so it was like positive versus negative. Um, and it turns out that you cannot recreate the same exact crystal. So like if you were to, to program it with love, right, you couldn't recreate the same exact one. But there's a distinct difference between the way that the ones that would be love would look compared to polluted water or actually water that had been programmed with hate. Um the little some people um, kind of uh, say it's pseudoscience um, because you know that's is where we get the water has memory and all these kind of things. And what I know and that we can track visually is that there's a change and mm-hmm. that there is a difference. So the the minutia of the detail, you know, maybe it cannot be specifically recreated or there's still flaws in this process um, or this this understanding of it. But we can definitely say for sure there's a major change. Something's so, happening. Yeah, something is happening. And that is just something that we can, as magical people, 
work with. We already know that things like sound, the reason we say our prayers out loud is to get that vibration, to say the words, to have all of the the sounds vibrating. Anyways, so <laughs> I can get sidetracked on that. But um, so I think it's really important to know that that we can alter our own like energy. We can alter the energy of water and it can then be a conduit for something. Things like tea, chamomile tea. Think about the last time you had a stomach ache. Right. You didn't eat the chamomile. You put it into the water and then you drank it and you let it kind of soothe you. So it, it becomes a carrier. And so it can then trans, it can transfer energy, things, all these different, uh, gosh, that sounds stupid. Cut that part out. <laughs> no, it sounds perfect, actually. It makes a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah, okay. it makes a lot of like sense. Energy and stuff. Well, you can kind of release that plant spirit, whether it's a tea yeah. or a decoction, you can release that plant spirit into the water. Yeah. And then you can take it with you in kind of a new form. Yes. And it, it does something different, too, because when you do have the, um, the, the heat and, and bringing, like you said, the spirit or the properties of the herb into the water. Um, I mean, but this was done all the way back. Charles Godfrey Leland um, basically um, documented this in um, one of his cl- more classic works, Gypsy, Sorcery, um, and Fortune Telling, um, which is, I think, mid-1800s. I can't remember exactly. Um, but one of the things he details is in there is about saffron and how putting the saffron into the water brought exactly that spirit of the plant into the water, and then it could be used as this eyewash. Just knowing that we can we can do so much with it, whether it's a cup of water or a body of water like the ocean. And then that's perfect segue into offerings. So, all right, I'm about to get on my high seahorse here, but <laughs> yes, do, <laughs> anyway. it, do it. Give us the hot tea. Oh my goodness. Okay. I just, I'm so frustrated and I'm so over it. So, um, as you know, social media is a big thing. And look, I'm, I have a, a, an account that has a lot of visually aesthetically pleasing things, like very beautiful. I do use a lot of flowers, but what you won't see me doing is throwing flower petals into the water. Now, I understand where this desire comes from. And I remember one of the, I I had done a group ritual years ago. um, Gosh, I want to say 2012 now, maybe that far back. Um, It seems so long ago. (laughs) And we finished this ritual and we took the, the leaders then took these beautiful roses out to the water and they, you know, they took the rose petals and they, they threw them all over the water. And I remember just being like, Oh my God, this is gorgeous. Like how could there be anything like, wrong with this Mm -hmm. and if you look at history and my personal path which is very celtic based our ancestors would actually deposit things into the water that was a way that they gave an offering and i love history i love the old stuff but at the same time we really can't recreate how we practiced in ancient times because it's not ancient times right um unless you're actually going to go buy 100 acres and live in there with absolutely like no car, no electricity, no modern things. It really, like, we really can't recreate. And honestly, we shouldn't because the Celts and the Romans, um, they would often take large, beautiful objects, swords, shields, uh, gold, jewelry, um, and in one case, even a full chariot, and they would throw them into the water as an offering to the gods or the spirits. Now, okay. water being a portal and, and, wells and and lakes and and stuff like that being portals are as a whole nother subject but it's my belief that that's why they were putting them in there is a lot of times they were broke so we see that in a lot of ancestral rites where we break something when a person dies so they can carry it with them into the other world and so some of these objects are broken but if we tried to recreate that and drive our car into the lake (laughs) <laughs> that would not be good. Not only are we polluting the lake, yeah, that would be terrible. Really big trouble, and there's probably going to be a murder investigation because people are going to think that there's a body down there. Right. So, so we shouldn't be doing that. Also, I mean, can you imagine having to pay um, your car payment when it's still at the bottom of the lake? <laughs> <laughs> so we really can't do that kind of stuff. So I know that this this idea of taking 
these votive offerings and placing them in the water is somehow deeply within us. Um, and I want to do it too. I so do. And there's been times where I've kind of been like, oh, I'm going to go give this offering. But what happened was critical thinking along with actually listening to the spirits that I work with and spending time in physical location. If you spend in time in physical location, the beach or wherever, right? You're going to like look down and you're going to see trash. It's just a thing. And one of the things like a straw is annoying, you know, pick that up. A cigarette butt's terrible, pick that up. But there is nothing worse. I get so irritated about this than having to pick up a dozen trashy looking roses because <laughs> somebody bought them for $9.99 at the grocery store and decided they were going to come out shoot something for Instagram or social media or whatever and throw them out into the water. And it's it's like, thank you for polluting the water. So I actually wrote a blog, um, oh, I don't even know, in the, t- in the time before. Um, <laughs> and um, it's actually called like, your flowers are a curse, not a blessing. The thing is, is store-bought flowers, even if you're trying, like, I've been actually posting a lot of like sacred baths where I have a lot of roses. So disclaimer here. Um, In my case, I actually am making sure that I go somewhere that sells things like organic or fair trade or um, local or like working so that I know, hey, these flowers probably aren't filled with chemical and dye. Because that's Mm -hmm. the other thing that 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 beautiful blue daisy that you bought at the store is not a blue daisy. It's a right. dye, you know? Yeah. And so even, even in the case of the water, like let's just say that you do have organic roses and you decide to throw them in the water. There's still foreign objects that don't belong there and they still pollute and they're still nasty and they don't, um, they just get washed up and they don't actually go into the water. Plus, I mean, the sea creatures don't eat rose stems or rose petals. Um, and while it's true that there are things like wild roses that grow along the shores of a lot of the rivers out here in the Pacific Northwest or the beaches, uh, I've even seen things like rosemary and other sea spray roses on, on like other coasts. Mm-hmm. Like if you really want to give offerings of flowers, do that. Spend the time mm-hmm. to pick the flowers that are there in the natural environment, create something beautiful with them. Maybe just pick one and use your little nail to to kind of put a sacred symbol on each of the petals and release that out. Because chances are the animals in that area, the local, all the local flora, fauna, the the creatures, this is part of the environment. Right. They'll be familiar with it. Yes, it's something that's there. It's it's natural. And also, like, wild roses are so much different than these crazy store-bought roses. Yes, they are. So we have to be so careful about what we're putting in the water. Even taking a bath with some of these roses can be problematic. But if you want to pollute your own body, that's fine. That's fine. Pollute your own body. No big deal. But don't be polluting the water. Um, in fact, I have video footage that I'm going to try and release this week of actually being at the beach um, last week and picking up a bunch of roses um, that are just laying around. It's just, I know that people think that it's pretty and that it's cute, but there's nothing pretty or cute about it. Um, It's what you get is like this picture of yourself being like, look at how amazing I am at the water with flowers. (laughs) And that means nothing. Um, If you truly do care about the water and you want to give offerings then give the hard offerings, not the $9.99 I picked it up and I can get a cool picture for Instagram offering, but go get yourself some boots, go get yourself a bucket, go get yourself a little pokey steak and clean clean the beach. Yeah, do, beach. Witch, do witchcraft. Do witchcraft, get in there, do some work. And I love this idea of, of kind of getting to know what's growing alongside, you know, the rivers or the ocean and just really making that that connection with that area and really deepening not just, you know, water, but but everything that's around it, everything that comes with it, you know, and naturally what goes into it. Yeah. Um, I want to circle back around to something that you were talking about earlier um, with wells. 
Oh, yes. Because I know that kind of your your specialty in a way is sacred wells. And I want to know how those are different from these other bodies of water that we're talking about. Like what, what you know, why wells? Oh, so why wells? So for me, um, I, I, it's a good question. Um, I, I've looked at so many different, like, could it be this? Could it be that? Um, I've always just really been like very attracted to springs. Um, and so growing up in Florida, I had the option of both the ocean, the creeks, the rivers, and all of those amazing springs. And um, we, I would spend, like, I remember summers floating down blue, blue springs and spending weekends at rock springs and all these kind of things. And so I did have a significant um, interaction at one of the springs in Florida. Um, and it's interesting because um, I friended a bunch of people that uh, live in that area and do things like kayaking and diving so I can see these beautiful pictures of the places that I love. <laughs> and um, one of them was talking about a spirit that actually is rumored to be in these waters. And so I was probably like 11-ish um, and I was upset about something, probably I, I was wronged in some way. Like I was kind of that misunderstood wild child. Right. Um, and so I remember like walk, like crying and walking going all the way up to like the very mouth of the spring and kind of just sitting there and watching it. And then after a while I decided to get in and, and flow and I didn't use a raft or anything. Um, and I just went, you know, belly down under the water and <laughs> I'm upset. I'm crying still. And I kind of like scream underwater. You know how you like, ah, so it's a great thing to do and you don't want people to hear. Um, and like just moments later, I remember having like thoughts about like, you know, someone rescue me and like, you know, help me get out, you know, those kind of things. And moments later, I smashed the top of my foot on a rock and um, it, it hurt terribly. And I thought that like there'd be blood and like all this stuff, but there was just a teeny little bit. And I had like this tiny little puncture indentation on the top of my foot, which ended up like forming a little triangle scar, um, which is interesting because the alchemical glyph for water is a triangle. So yeah. um, I was always quite proud of my little scar. I thought it was cool. And it wasn't until, of course, my adulthood and I'm working and like learning things and like working with spirits and hearing other people's stories with spirits that I was like, that was a thing. So that could be it. It's quite possible that my young self was like, if you help me, like I could see myself doing this. I don't remember. But like, if someone helps me, like I'll be your friend or, you know, like yeah. something like that. Um, so that is quite possible. It could have been like just a like really ignorant young child thing to do, but I was marked mm -hmm. at that point. And there's a deep connection to these freshwater springs. So um, fast forward. And when I'm looking and learning about water, so this is after my first pilgrimage, which by the way, you know, those springs that were there, like that, that year that I went, I visited the White Spring and the Red Spring, but then also Sulis's temple in Bath, which is also a spring. Um, and, and, and both the Chalice Well and Sulis's Well are, um, what they call, uh, Chalabit or Chalabit. I'm not quite sure the pronunciation, but, um, it basically means like iron laden water. So it's like a red spring, which we have one, our, our secret one that will not tell anybody where it is, but you know, <laughs> one that's here is, is the same way. It's got this like really red, um, iron content. So I have a strange connection there, but. Sulis's temple. I went on pilgrimage there in 2018. And um, this was actually like with a group of like magical people. And it was led by um, a, a prominent author in the pagan community. And she's wonderful. Um, and we basically rented this pool. And this pool, it's called Crossbath. And it's actually where the Celts worshipped Sulis originally. And oh, so wow. the waters of this area, there's three different um, like waters that come up. And so the Celts worshipped her in this one place. And they, in like the 1800s, they turned it into like a bathhouse. And so we had an hour in this pool. And we were chanting and singing and like doing all of this like sound magic. And um, long story short, 
profound things happened. I really wanted to sit in this one place where the water was coming out and I, but I knew better to like interrupt or ask or be selfish. There's other people there, but like secretly I was just like, Oh, I really want to sit at the top where the water's flowing and place my hands on this, this beautiful glass ball that the, this water's flowing from. And just moments later, I get this tap on the shoulder that was like, come here. And it was the high, like the, the, lady running the thing, the priestess at the time. Um, and she was like, yeah, this is really weird, but I got this like message from Sulis that you should sit right here. Uh, and I was like, yes, and she did some healing work and we talked about it later. And she's like, I seriously have no idea what happened. Um, I just was like the conduit. And I was like, okay, that makes sense to me. But I went there when I was like five and, um, again and again and again, um, whenever we go back for visits, we would go and this place just always was like etched into my mind. Um, and so long way to get to the answer here. But, um, so then when I was doing my research, um, through everything and looking at all these different like bodies of water, um, the wells just, I became so obsessed with them. And I think that it might have to do with like the well-maiden stories that are within the Celtic lore. Um, I'm, I'm somehow like just drawn to them. There's something about them that stirs something within me that is a remembrance. I touch a little bit on this in um, my new book, Water Priestess, about past lives, but I feel like it can also be so touchy because there's so many people out there that are like, I'm Cleopatra. Oh, yeah. um, well, <laughs> Everyone was so exciting in their last lives. Right, right. I know. Um, I don't think that I was anything like that. But um, like, I could see myself have been like, a priestess in training or a handmaiden. Um, certainly, I feel like there was parts of me that were bur- burned, but probably more as a heretic than a witch, because like, I'm still kind of a heretic now. Um, yeah. so, I, yeah. so there is like some weird past lives, but I hate to get too deep into it because it can get a little weird. Um, so I'll just acknowledge that there are weird remembrances that uh, I can't quite place. And it's this deep draw to these sacred wells and to these practices and these these maiden type of figures that hold vessels. Um, I remember seeing a painting of like, um, or a fresco, you know, of, of like a Hebe type character where she was like a beautiful looking uh, Grecian Roman type of goddess holding that picture. And I remember like my heart skipping a beat, like there was something there that I just... I, I couldn't quite place it, but like it, it took my breath away. So I don't know if that really gives you the answer you were looking for, but yeah, strange, no, strange connections. Beautiful story. You know, um, kind of going back to talking about wells and springs and whatnot, uh, where I live in Northeastern Oregon, we have really wonderful drinking water up here. All of our water comes from the mountains and like mountain runoff and whatnot, but we have springs. We have a ton of springs. And about once a week, I go out and I collect spring water from some of my favorite springs. But as a person who has a difficult time connecting with the element of water, do you have any tips for collecting water properly? Or like, if I go to the spring, is there a better way besides just filling up my jug? So, um, okay. So the well spirits do seem to be still like clinging on to these older practices, um, of things like cluties and, and bringing like little trinkets and stuff like that. But then you have to be careful too, not to pollute the area. Right. So you giving an offering of some sort would be really good. I like giving coins, but what I do is I will bring the coin and be like, I'm giving you this coin. And then I will then put it on the water altar so that it is like, it, it is, I'm putting it here. And then what happens after time is you can actually take that money and purchase something like, you know, uh, cleaning stuff for it or spend money on gas to go back and actually like sacredly tend the area. So to really kind of take that, like, oh, this is an old way of doing things, but your spirit times have changed. So we don't mm-hmm. want to leave this here to encourage other people to leave their trash also, someone will probably take it. And so you can do that kind of thing. Um, one of my dear friends actually does something like this where she gives coins as offerings to actually Sulis. Um, and she's saving up because there's a project for the restoration of the part of the restoration of the temple where you can buy a brick for like $500. And so she's been saving up doing these 
like her offerings and her rituals. And like when she gets to a certain point, she's like, I'm going to try and buy a brick um, and, and actually put it into the temple and, and the actual place there. So I think that there's ways that we can take these old practices and instead of putting the coin in the tree and harming the tree, we put it in a place with a promise that's like, and then this is going to come back to you in some sort of physical way. I mean, also you could just go there and be like, no physical offerings. I'm going to give, I'm going to clean this area. I'm going to tend this area. Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing when it comes to springs is really learning what kind of spirit is there or spirits, right? Because there can be more than one, what they need or want. I started kind of asking that question in my early days, like, I want to give you a coin, but I know that that's just pollution. Or I really want to recreate this Clutie spell, but I know that leaving a, a ribbon here is not going to be a good idea. And so I was like, what can I do in service? And they were like, write books. And I was like, you should find someone else because I love <laughs> And they were like, nope, you. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to learn how to write. So do be careful what, like, when you, if it's an open question of like, what can I do to serve you? Oh, bring the water to the world. I'm like, dang it. (laughs) The perfect segue, too, because that's my next question is tell us about your books. Oh, okay. Ah. I want to just one more thing really quick about collecting the water. So there are different ways to collect water in different places and collecting it. It's going to make a difference on how it kind of uh, interacts with your work. So if you're doing more aggressive magic, do things like collect it against the current because you do want to have that opposition. Healing magic, collect it with the current so that it comes around and flows in. Um, so there isn't a proper way to do it, but certainly kind of coming up with your rhythm, looking into older practices of your tradition, because that's the other thing is, um, you know, the old um, practices from Romania are going to differ slightly than the old practices from Ireland. So Mm -hmm. kind of looking into like what grandma did or what grandma's grandma did and our cultural practices can also kind of push us into, um, oh, hey, we should we should do it this way because this is how our ancestors are doing it. Um, and so I encourage you guys to look back through, through your ancestry, figure out like, oh, like, look, the, this is how grandma was doing it and do that. But if you don't have that, um, then there's my books, <laughs> um, which gives lots of different information on how to create different waters, how to, there's a whole chapter on like working with the local water spirits. Um, and the thing is, is the plant spirits count. There's a long history of trees housing water spirits or being a guardian of a place or hawthorn trees with the, the thorns both being um, liminal markers for this fairy human realm of where you can kind of go back and forth, but also the transference that can happen. So an old Clutie spell would take a piece of cotton from your clothes and dip it into the well and like say your prayers and basically like, um, you know, this is what's wrong with me. My shoulder has all this pain and blah, blah, blah. Right. So then they impale it onto the hawthorn tree thorn and then as it decomposes, and we see this in the other spells too, the decomposition of the actual material, then um, it can transfer over to the tree or the tree will take it. Um, and so as it decomposes, it's also then supposed to decompose from your space, your, your energy field. So, so yeah, so the books have lots of information on that. Water Witchcraft is, uh, well, first off, it started out much bigger. <laughs> Not, it wasn't a Celtic book in the very beginning. It was a huge volume that was, it covered Celts, um, Romans, Greeks, Germanic stuff, some Slavic stuff. Um, and when Wiser picked it up, they loved it. But then they came back and were like, we're going to do a Celtic. <laughs> so that was kind of 40,000 like, words over the count. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was, I was, I, yeah, I was supposed to turn in 50,000. I turned in 91. Oh. Um, <laughs> I got a phone call like the day after I turned my first manuscript in and I was like, oh my God, they hate it. That's it. It's over. My contract is done. (laughs) Um, And basically I just got this phone call that was like, how many words are you contracted for? And I was like, (laughs) 50. (laughs) And how many did you send? And I was like, 91. And they're like, 
you can't do that. And I was like, I had no idea you guys would be upset if I overachieved. Right. <laughs> like, I didn't know. Um, <laughs> and so they, they were basically like, we don't want to cut this down. We want you to cut it down. And so, and they were like, but also like make this like all Celtic. So, um, so there was a significant portion that didn't make it in, but water witchcraft itself gives some of this foundational knowledge that we've talked about with Dr. Emoto um, and all these things like, what about a rowan tree at a well? Or what about like a dreaming spring? Because there's there's chemicals that can be in these springs as well, which is another thing that sets them apart. And this is really exciting because um, like Madrone's well in the UK, it has a ton of radon. And so that actually makes you sleep. So people actually pilgrimage to this area to actually sleep and do dream work at the well, um, which is fantastic. And then we see things like the white spring and the chalice well, which in um, the 18, 17, 1800s, if you were iron deficient and you went to the chalice well, immersed in the water and drank it, yes, it is going to cure you because there's so much iron, your anemia is going to be taken care of. You have bone issues and you're drinking the water from the white spring, which is laden with lime and calcium. That's what gives it that water. Then you are going to have some health benefits from that. And so this mineral spring, these mineral waters have actual physical healing or altering properties. Um, And so in a time when we didn't have calcium pills and iron that you can get from, you know, the grocery store, this is how people were treating and, and using these type of old folk medicines these springs they've got oh my god so many amazing things and um the book has lists of like all of these different chemicals that you can find in the springs what trees are associated with sacred wells um and stuff like that lots of folk magic lots of there was once an old witch that you know did this one thing and then she would cut the legs off of some frogs and hang them around her neck and other stories about shape-shifting witches um and spectral uh, ghosts and um, all sorts of like water creatures from the benevolent um, mermaid that grants wishes. If you help her to the drowning mermaids that will take your souls, Um, Kelpies and Selkies and um, water horses and and, like just other water horses and stories of flake ladies and water witches and all sorts Mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, And like the sea witch section actually has information on two witches from um, from England that actually used bo- like sea bones to cast and do divination, mm. um, and their information is actually on um, in the Witchcraft Museum. Um, they actually have uh, Kate the Gold Turner is one, and uh, uh, Sea Witch of Missing. No, I don't want to say the wrong name, but anyway, so there's this, <laughs> it's lots of like really interesting hands on do the things. Here's information about old witches. I got so much shit um, when (laughs) I first came out. So traditional witchcraft um, and folk magic is like my heart and soul. It's what I love. Um, I I don't express it that well online sometimes, but it's, I'd rather be in a pile of folkloric books reading about the old witch that did the thing in the 1800s. So yeah, so I got so much um, just crap from people when I first started being like, water witchery they were like water witches those are dowsers and like yes since the 1500s that is a word that has been used to describe a dowser and that's true but it also is somebody that could divine where water was so there's a little bit more there there is like this energetic element to it um and so then i started looking and being like look we have earth witches like green witch is a thing. How many books have like the green witch blah or green witches blah? Mm-hmm. There's so many. And I was like, how come we don't have blue witches? Like this should be a thing. Like there's so much water. So I would present and share some of my findings and people would kind of make fun of me and they weren't very nice. Um, and, you know, I was like, okay, fine, whatever. So I sat, I set out really with water witchcraft to not only create a book that gave stuff to people that they could then take and use in their own path. Um, But to actually establish that not only is this a legitimate path, but it's 
goes all the way back to the beginning. Yeah, it's of always been a path. Yeah. Yeah. And we just, so that's where water priestess came in then is after I finished with water witchcraft, I was like, well, I have all this other information about like these sea priestesses that lived on the Isle of Senna and the Avalonian priestesses and the nine daughters of Ran, the nine maidens that kindled the cauldron of Anun, um, like Caridwin's culture and like we all we have all of these like goddessy priestessy watery things that are still in mythos that I didn't even touch on so I went back further and I was like okay let's take a look at like what was happening in these ancient temples what mm. goddess was being worshipped here oh we see that there's always a connection with sun gods and water spring like water nymphs and springs Mm-hmm. Um, and I found really cool little nuggets of, of information. And one of the neat ones that I'm like so obsessed with sharing is that there's a team, a research team, um, that has been doing academic work and studying Apollo's temples, specifically in this case, the one at Delphi, right? So they were called Delphi, Apollo's temple. Well, I never made the connection until I was doing my research, but Delphi? Where does that even come from? Well, here's the thing. This team is doing research and they've basically come up with preliminary findings that support their research that says that Apollo's temple at Delphi is oriented with the rising of the constellation Delphinius, the dolphin. Oh, yeah. And then we all, then as I started digging into the practices of the Oracle of Delphi, I was like, oh, she bathes in the the sacred springs and Mm -hmm. then she goes over to do her prophecies. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's pieces here. And why is it then that Apollo is connected with the nine muses? And then we have the nine mill maiden, nine daughters of Ran, all of these groups of nine women continually being connected with water. And so it's puzzle pieces and there's, it's a broken, it's a broken puzzle, but I tried to do my best and, and basically be like, there's, there's this and it's somehow connected to this and it's somehow connected to this. And uh, so it goes back all the way to the beginning of time. I mean, I even went as far back as, um, oh my gosh, um, Assyrian. I like going all the way back there to Assyria. Um, in fact, there's an amazing book that just came out about one of the uh, Assyrian water goddesses. Um, anyways, mm. so um, yeah, so those are kind of like the inspirations for my book. Water Priestess has a lot more information on how to not only start your own path about water, but what if you want to hold a water circle? Like what if you do want to do a community ritual to Aphrodite for love? Or what if you do want to do a community healing ritual with Bridget and use water from her sacred well um, and stuff like that? So there's a lot more of like, here's a structure for a ritual and a circle. And the one that I put in that book, actually, we did here um, in Oregon in 2019, Pagan Pride Day. Um, And as I was writing the book, it just hit me. I was like, this was a huge community ritual. Like other people can use this. And, and, and so I, I put that in there as well. Um, and more divination, scrying, stuff like that. Lots of ritual baths. Um, but there is this element in Water Priestess that's like, look, you are connected to water. Water is your path. And you're a massage therapist. What about Watsu? Like what about mm. actually doing healing work in the water, like doing massage in the water. Watsu is a thing, um, which I didn't know um, at the time. But so that kind of stuff of, of really taking a these ancient things, these ancient nuggets and forming it into a modern day path. And um, Water Priestess, I really did try and take my own path out of it and put more of a universal like here's some ideas for you adapt it to your path rather than with water witchcraft. It's like, no, no, this is how the Celts did it. Or this is how um, they were doing it in Scotland in 1865. Um, And so there's a lot more like very path specific for water witchcraft, very traditional Mm -hmm. and water priestess is like, let's make this a thing. Let's have like water practitioners across the world, like the water walkers, right? Like we all know about water walkers. And I was like, man, maybe we should join the walk. I was like, we could do that. Or what we could do is support our indigenous sisters in their work 
and, and what they're doing, but from our own cultural perspective and be like, yeah, so I'm, you know, the Celtic water priestess here to like share the information about the water walker, support the water walker. Um, and, and really like it's water and what is happening to water. It's not just, um, a specific problem in indigenous communities. It's a worldwide problem and we cannot leave it to just a small group of people who are already at a disadvantage to be doing the hard work. And we also shouldn't be overshadowing them with like, here's the big, you know, uh, like now we're water walkers. Look at me. I'll put it on social media. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted us to have something that was sacred that we as a pagan or witchcraft community could create a sacred uh, path of water so that, our, our other water walkers or water protectors don't have to fight alone and um, and to really kind of help support that. So the conclusion of my book is I'm hoping that before I die, that there's at least 9,000 water priestesses and, and whatever version, that's the other thing is I use priestess a lot, right? But that's because like, that's my perspective is this feminine sacred service path, but you don't have to even use that word. You can use priest. I actually do have several um, men in my water priestess training course, which I didn't think would, I did. I honestly didn't think that they'd be okay with it, but they love it. They love it. And they have no problem with changing the priest or priestess to priest and priest X. That's fine too. I mean, water is so fluid. It isn't just a path for women. Even if you don't, um, really resonant with that word we have i mean there's water shamans um i interviewed a gal last month um that identifies as a sea shaman and so you don't even have to use the word priestess um you could be just a water guardian or shaman or druid and and really be able to to walk your path in a sacred place from from your perspective because i think that that's really important and what i'm presenting is my own narrow focus and I'm hoping that that is a foundation for other people to then expand. And yeah. it's happening because I saw on TikTok, um, somebody had shared my book and they were really excited about it, but they're Slavic. And so what's been happening is they're like, we bought, I bought this book. I love this book. It's so amazing, but it's Celtic. So now what she's doing is like sharing all these like really cool, like Slavic mermaid stories mm. um, and stuff like that on her TikTok. And I'm like, yes, this is it. Like I want the domino effect. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping that someone puts together like a Slavic water spirits book. How cool would that be? That is so beautiful. And I really think that your books right now are so timely. They're so relevant to everything that's going on around us. And even though you said that your first book is, you know, very Celtic based, um, and I'm the furthest thing from a Celtic practitioner. And as someone who is an intense fire sign, I, I, I was like holding your book, like, what am I even doing here? But it was so beautiful and able to really help me connect with the water. And Britton and I really talk a lot about how us as fire signs have trouble connecting with this water. So I really recommend it to people. Oh, thank you. Oh, and I actually, I did, I just realized that I didn't talk about fire and water. Um, so since you guys both are really fiery, two things that people don't really think about when working water magic in conjunction with fire magic is you can anoint your candles with holy water. And mm. right. Absolutely do that. And so you can bring water into your fire practice by anointing your candles with the water and, you know, then dressing and blessing however you do. And then floating candles are another mm -hmm. great thing to work with. Um, and that brings that energy of fire and water together. And um, you can also put candles in bowls on little stands. But I will say, don't use glass bowls. Use ceramic or metal. I've blown a few glass bowls up. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, where the flame gets down to that last little nub and it heats it up from a center point. And so I have cracked a couple bowls. So I'll put that out there. Be sure that it's like metal or like a really good pottery that's gone through a high fire before you actually put a candle in there. Right. Just the hazards of witchcraft. Right. I know. Sometimes we blow things up. Yeah. Right. It's true. Or fling water across your room. That's my thing. <laughs> Cool, cool. Okay, Anwen. So what is next for you? And where can people follow you? Well, I don't have much planned this year um, for 2021, obviously, just because of what's happened with COVID. But 
I am working on a couple other books. Um, I cannot talk about them yet because they're in that like delicate stage of like not quite in a not quite a contract yet. Um, and so I uh, I've got three that that we're talking about, and so I don't quite know which one's going to go first. Um, but uh, so there's more books in the future for sure. Um, and then you can find me. Um, the three best places to find me are going to be waterpriestess.com which is where I run this kind of non-denominational, non-path-specific path of water and water priestess training and all that stuff. The first level is free, by the way, because I don't think that it's just like, I don't want people's money, you know, like it's not about that. It's about giving this information. So the first intro course, I mean, it's just fun, but it's free to kind of just get people interested and see if they like it. Um, but I do take a very kind of like a bubbly, happy approach of like, just put the, like, do the things, like start the work. And then my nine month water magic course starts March 1st and registration's open right now. And this is way more specific. It's a little bit more like water witchcraft where it's like, okay, now we're going to learn these things. Now go make this thing and do your homework, do this bath, write it up and send it in. So it's very, very specific, very much. There's tons of information, tons of things to do. And even though it's a nine-month course, it's taken everybody about a year. <laughs> so it's longer than than um, that. So the like water water priestess has the water uh, priestess training. Water witchcraft is where I have more of the witchcraft the classes. Um, there's even resources on those places too. Like oh, you want a water tarot deck? Here's a list or like different mm. blogs stuff like that. But the best best place to find me is Instagram. That's been my home. I do have a Facebook profile, but over the past five years, I've been using a heck of a lot less. And over the past maybe two, I barely use it other than to log on to to maybe just like poke in um, some of the groups that I created. <laughs> so yeah, I created a few groups on Facebook that are very active, but I'm never in them anymore, um, <laughs> which are water witches and water priestess groups for people to chat and talk. Um, so yeah, Instagram. I do a live stream every Wednesday at 11. So, well, between 11 and 11.30 is when I start. <laughs> Sometime in there. Um, so, yeah. So that's that's the best place is Instagram. Oh, and I just started my Patreon. Um, I have been, many, many people have been asking and asking. Um, so I put together my Patreon. I'm brand new. Like, I launched it two days ago. Um, so I'm still learning and I'm still trying to figure out, like, what tiers people want and that kind of stuff. But that is up. Um, and it's, of course, everything's under Anwin Avalon. So great. Perfect. Great. Thank you so much for coming on here with us today, Anwin. We love talking with you and having you share your wonderful water knowledge. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Alrighty, everyone. Until next time, do witchcraft. Do it. Support for this podcast comes from our listeners. If you would like to support Invoking Witchcraft with a one-time donation, please go to invokingwitchcraft.com backslash donate. Or if you'd like to become a premium listener, join the coven at invokingwitchcraft.com backslash coven. There you'll get access to our exclusive Facebook group for discussion and connection, as well as access to occasional workshops. We hope to see you there.